Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. McCullough helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by an incredible uh, guest who is an expert in helping you understand what it takes to live in a healthy house or even ideally build a healthy house. And she has written a book called Prescription for a Healthy House. And some of you may wonder if the background behind me is like Paula's background, which is, appears to be real. It's not a virtual background. Those are real books, right, Paula? Sure are. All right. Well, so is mine. This is not virtual. So this goes here in my bookshelf. With the rest of the books. All right. All right. It's a good book. It's a great book. It's a book that you would benefit from reviewing uh, if you're interested in building a house. And we all, I mean, the, and be aware of all the different uh, concerns and pitfalls that you can come because when you, you live in an unhealthy house, it's a prescription for health disaster because of. So many things that can go wrong. So Paul is going to go into that in great detail. She did in her book. It's a very good book and really one that you would seriously consider as a resource if you're if you're going to be in the process of building or even remodeling the current home. So why don't you tell us a little about your background? I think you were uh, ill in the past from multiple chemical sensitivity syndrome, MCCS for short. Thing. I think this multiple chemical no MCSS sorry MCSS and uh, you from Canada, and you you specialize in this field. So why don't you tell us your educational background and you know your your journey that got you into this field? Sure. Um, I graduated from the University of Toronto, and then shortly after moved to Santa Fe, and was living in a home that was far from ideal. It was new. There was a lot of formaldehyde in it, and. I didn't know what was happening to my health. I just knew it was going downhill. And um, I started to get pneumonia, then double pneumonia, then pleurisy and pneumonia. Like every every year when we closed the house down, I got sicker and sicker and moved from that house. But the health problems still plagued me. And But I didn't make the association. And then my doctor, who was trying to help me, and I was designing a house for her, she was getting progressively ill, and that's when she discovered multiple chemical sensitivities. And there was nothing in either her medical education or my architectural education that would even clue us into the fact at that time that there was a connection between health and where we live. And once she found out the cause of her ill health, which she was working in a clinic that pesticided and she was getting the aldehydes from the sterilized equipment once in a while when conditions were right, they would suck them into her office. So she was getting progressively unhealthy and she called me up one day and said, um, I know what's wrong with you finally, it's wrong with me too. And we've got to do this house differently. 
And that was the start. That was in 1991 or 92, I guess. And we did her house with the best information we could find at the time. You know, no, no internet. And uh, only, there was only really two books out there on how to build something that began to be healthy. And, you know, one was from John Bauer, who was a pioneer in the field. And that was the most comprehensive. So that was the beginning of the journey. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it wouldn't be fair to state that you tasked uh, John in providing a comprehensive treatise of how to go about building a healthy house? Uh, we were we did the best we could with that first one and it turned out it worked well for her to recover in that house and um i just never stopped researching because i don't know how word got out back then without the internet but everyone you know there was a rumor wild rumor spreading that there was a doctor and an architect working together on the issue of multiple chemical sensitivity and people started calling us up and um so i thought we knew a lot and i should write a book and that was the first version of Prescriptions for a Healthy House. And as you probably know, when you begin to write a, a book, you realize how much you don't know, how much research you have to do. And that book has been through four editions because it keeps going out of date. We keep learning more. The situation changes. And so here I am uh, over 20 years later with the fourth edition. Yes, 30 years since you started your venture. What would you say are some of the biggest changes that have occurred from the first time you, you wrote your first book to the current one? And what, what, what have you learned and, and uh, as some of the most important updates? Well, besides our um, experience over the years accumulating, the scene has changed. Um, pe more people are asking for a healthy house um, than before. There are more materials available that are better materials because of things like the lead innovation. Um, so a lot of things have gotten better and then some things have gotten worse. Certainly uh, when we wrote the first book, there was no wireless um, communication going on on a mass scale and being imposed on people who uh, were sensitive to it or maybe were all sensitive to it, but that was not an issue. Uh, and I'm I'm seeing a lot, lot more mold issues, mm. um, which I think were in the making back, even back then, but they're surfacing more now. Some people are talking about the connection between mold and electromagnetics even. Sure. Why, why do you think that is? It's because maybe typically mold is due to a result of water intrusion into the home space in some way. So you think it's just the, the buildings have gotten older and and as a result of plumbing leaks or roof leaks, you know, they've, they've acquired water into the interior space and caused mold, mold growth or is another factor? I think there are many factors. Um, the big one that I see in North America is uh, code required vapor barriers and mm. meant to uh, keep water out of the wall. But uh, since water is highly intelligent, and so is condensation. If the water gets in the wall, it has no way to escape. Um, and so I have tended in our own architectural practice to do what's called vapor flow through walls or what building biology refers to as 
a permeable wall or a breathable wall. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be clear, that doesn't mean it's a source of oxygen exchange. It means it's uh, permeable to vapor and can uh, it has enough robustness that it, and the materials don't get moldy, but it can breathe, uh, expire moisture to both sides. So I've had a lot more long-lived building health in that way now. Mm-hmm. Leaks happen. Um, I think the population, you know, they recognized a connection between Lyme disease and mold illness and a lot of it's just much more prevalent now. Uh, so, yeah, uh, people who come to us for renovation purposes because they're ill, it's usually a combination of mold and some people highly electromagnetically sensitive. It used to be just people with multiple chemical sensitivities. So some good things are it's easier to build a safe chemical free house mm-hmm. and uh, it's harder with conventional construction as we do it in this country and with the electromagnetic issues to um, to get homes that are free of mold and electromagnetic issues and those two topics aren't really addressed too much in the prevalent green point systems that are out there now mm-hmm. especially electromagnetics though the, the um, the world is silent on that one, the world of health. And um, we see the extent of the mold issues for people far greater than what's, you know, you would think it would be front page on all architectural oh, magazines, but it's not mentioned. No, I agree. I wrote a book on that too, EMF, which goes into <laughs> great detail. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. Um, would your, is it your belief that the mold issue is more prevalent than EMF or EMF, is EMF more prevalent or pervasive? Or I guess maybe they're both, probably EMF is more pervasive, but I mean, in your experience, what is typically causes more problems? Um, all we know is the people who call us. And so we see mm-hmm. quite a cross section actually. And I would say it's 50-50 and now more than ever people are saying, mold and EMFs are their problem. Mm. And um, some of those people don't even report chemical sensitivities. I said, well, we'll do safe materials too. Because yeah, uh, yeah, sure. you know, you're vulnerable now. And even if chemicals didn't bother you in the past, you need to be really careful now. Are there, are there any simple solutions? It seems like this vapor material, vapor free or permeable. Yeah. yeah, they banned that. So aside from implementing that system back in, are there other things you can do to the walls, like use permeable walls, like uh, like like some of the ancient culture did with like building out of dirt uh, would be, you know, seem to be a useful strategy, maybe not as practical in many communities, but certainly a possibility. Uh, yes. Yeah. There are several vapor permeable or uh, flow through wall systems available. Natural building, which is how I've lived and what I prefer and follows the principles of building biology most closely, are not available to many people. But there are. Um, and what would those materials. be? What would those uh, be? Faswell blocks uh, or. A Faswell? Faswell block. Uh, what is that? 
It's a block made out of, uh, it works like a concrete block, but it has insulation, has insulation inserts. We can get formaldehyde-free inserts. It's made out of recycled, recycled wood chip uh, hmm. that has been um, demineralized through a clay process and then uh, made into a cement-based block. Mm-hmm. And so that handles moisture beautifully. Uh, there's Faswell in the U.S. There's Nexsem in Canada, our two manufacturers in, in North America. And then the other one is autoclaved aerated concrete, mm. which is, it's, are you familiar with that one? It's a lightweight block. No. It's made in, one of the manufacturers is in Florida. So mm. we visited their factory there, but it's an excellent material. It's um, it's great for Florida where you have things like termites and, uh, um, you know, a lot of moisture to handle. And we have used it uh, throughout the country. It also comes from Mexico, from a company which is from a European country called Havel. It's much more prevalent in Europe and in Japan than it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a wood frame home is both the most vulnerable and the easiest to build, the most understood, and the least expensive. So, um, you know, if I can talk someone into the beauty, you know, the health beauty of having some of these more robust uh, materials, uh, then that's what we work with. Uh, in our own design pro- process, we will only, if we're the architects, we'll only work with one of these alternative systems or one of the natural systems like Adobe, rammed earth, mm-hmm. light clay, hempcrete. Those are all available to certain parts, certain people, certain mentalities, certain parts of the country. Uh, so there are alternatives. And there, there are also much better ways to build frame construction we now have um, those. We now have vapor permeable membranes that serve as the vapor barrier. They're a vapor barrier in the winter when the drive is in, in a cold climate into the wall, but they allow the home to dry out in the summer where the vapor drive is in the other direction. So there's some pretty sophisticated um, systems all coming from Europe. Yeah. So that are available. Clearly, these are options for someone who's building a home and, you know, with the recession coming strongly in at this point, thanks to the uh, pandemic uh, and the money inflation supply that they've created. um, There's not a lot of people building new buildings now. So what are the options for someone who's wound up with one of these, these or is in the process of considering remediating their home? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's a, along with the mold problems have come with a, a lot of remediators, along with the electromagnetic situation have come a lot of specialists in that area. Um, and, you know, for someone who's renovating, we need to find out, really take a medical case history almost to find out what is making them sick. And if they mm-hmm. don't know, then um, there's a great some great ways to diagnose. Now, my co-author, John Banta, has come up with a pathways testing. So you can put in, and it's instead of, you, you know, there uh, you do a number of inexpensive tests to find out where in the walls the mold is, because usually it's mm. in the walls if it's not an obvious source. Mm-hmm. So uh, you just start where you are and there are solutions for everything. 
Some of them, though, if you, you know, if you're living in direct line of a cell tower and you're sensitive, or you have a smart meter and you're sensitive, um, or if your house has endemic mold throughout it, um, the easiest solution, if you can, might be to move because that house is going to be very difficult to make it serve your health. And what's your situation? I suspect that recommendation comes from many, many years of experience with people who may not have heeded that advice and then suffer the consequences of seeking to remediate unsuccessfully. Yes, it's a case-by-case basis. If the cause of the mold is um, endemic throughout the building, uh, then you can chase that mold for years. If it's because it was a plumbing leak, then there's, you know, or something, an event uh, it's much easier. Uh, same as if you just have a site that's just getting bombarded with electromagnetics, um, you can live in a Faraday cage. You can um, you can shield your building, but it's got to be done very carefully. And there's always uh, other consequences every time, every intervention. It's almost like, um, you know, pharmaceutical uh, medicine, it may control a symptom, but then when you look at the side effects, you, you wonder, is this really worth it? Yeah, from my experience, that one of the big issues is uh, magnetic fields, which are typically a result of improperly grounded uh, electrical systems, uh, which is typically due to inept electricians. And, and it's surprisingly common. I mean, what is your experience? How, how often have you seen that? It's surprisingly common. Uh, when I first learned about magnetic fields, I went around with a Gauss meter, Gauss meter and uh, found lots of problems in my new house. Um, so it's it's common, and it's that's I think that's the the low lying fruit compared, you know, in terms of being correctable usually compared mm-hmm. to sources that come from the outside and invade yeah. our homes. Yeah, that is uh, probably why the simplest solution is if you're seeking a new shelter or home or some a renting space to to. And I've done this with many friends who are valuable to live. It's just you go in there with a battery of instruments to measure it before you even consider purchasing it because it is so much easier to find a home that's acceptable than it is to remediate one that that uh, you may like, but you know, it's going to give you a heartache of health issues and make a real dent in your pocketbook if you try to remediate it. Yes, and um, the same is true of chemicals and mold. I always advise people if they haven't already bought the house to at least get some general um, air testing done and make sure it passes those tests before buying it. And what's, what's the best way to do that? There are um, several labs, you know, it's, it's again, this has gotten better over the years, but there are several labs that um, you can collect air samples or people who are, you know, industrial hygienists or have a background in this can collect um, a single series of samples and get back hundreds of parameters. They'll show uh, mold in the air, which is not always, you know, it's just a snapshot of a room in a, t- in a time, but it will show um, a lot of information, which chemicals are prevalent and where they might be found in the home. Uh, and uh, is there a higher mold count? Uh, and then if there is, then you need to do more detailed exploration. Um, but they're, they're a helpful tool for um, 
for purchasing a home, it, you know, it should, you know, how a home inspection is part of every purchase. They want to make sure the home it doesn't have termites and it's not falling apart, but this should be standard practice. So what is the majority of your professional career looks like? Is it more focused on remediating existing homes or consulting with people who are building new homes? I would say it's 50-50 now. Okay. Um, yes. So we have... Um, what was it before? Was it mostly new construction? Well, as an architect, I was mostly doing new construction that's or renovation that was our yes. bread and butter and that's our joy mm -hmm. um but the demand for this is just growing exponentially for people who are already in a home or building a home and so we've um we love to work with other architect builder teams and owner teams to help solve those problems because it's a service. We can be helpful to these people. We have a, a weird set of specialized knowledge that can be helpful. So do a large percentage of your clients come proactively? There's no problem exists. They just want to make sure it's a really healthy home or is it because they brought up against a, a problem? Well, a large percentage of our consulting clients are because they have a problem. When I started doing healthy housing way back when, 30 years ago, I thought, well, I'll offer this to um, clients who want it and we'll do the other kind of housing, normal housing for clients who don't want it because they didn't want to ruin my business. And mm -hmm. I found out two things. Number one, I never had anyone say, no, we don't want the healthy housing option. The common question is how much more is it going to cost? Mm -hmm. um, and number two, I couldn't in all conscious, conscious, consciousness with, with what we know now offer a standard house to anybody anymore. Mm. I couldn't offer the, the, the toxic one that had been my bread and butter before. So, um, you know, people usually find us, our clients are either people who have found us because they want a new healthy house or um, because they understood what we were explaining to them and decided it was worth investing in. Hmm. Yeah. So um, are there other professionals like you out there that focus on this and is there like network or resource that people can find someone local to them or uh, is most of uh, just most of this specialty or expertise confined to a few individuals and a lot of the consulting is done virtually. Well, thanks to COVID, most of our um, consulting is done virtually um, and we're able to do the consulting virtually. Um, there are, I like to think there's an up and coming generation of architects who are um, not because they're teaching in an architecture school so much, but be, through the Building Biology Institute, I've been faculty with them for the last 18 years and when I get another architect or a builder come through and they're interested, I really try to be a personal mentor. And so there are, it's not like you can look up a healthy home architect in your city. You'd be very lucky to find one, but there are, there are people across the country now. And um, one of the first places I always go is to the find an expert page on the building biology website to see who's located, where this person is, is calling from. That's a good strategy. And you mentioned the cost earlier. How much more does it typically 
cost to integrate some of these solutions into the into the house? Well, the answer, as with everything, is it depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll put some uh, some explanation on that. Um, you know, I know you sell a lot of products for health, and people pay money for them, realizing that um, that both the loss of um, that illness and loss of quality of life that illness brings um, is not worth saving money on. So, and, and, you know, it's very expensive to get ill. It's mm -hmm. just very yeah. expensive. So um, it's the most common cause of uh, bankruptcy. I believe it. And um, so prevents preventative medicine in the biggest picture possible. So if I can educate, that's great. Um, so the other thing, if we're the, the architects, as you know, a lot of homes are very large and there's a lot of wasted space. And so if I can go the process through the process with someone who has a limited budget and wants a health sanctuary, the first process, if we are the architects, is finding out how much space do they really need. And I used to have fun with this because I had my office and people, and then my house was up the hill and people would come to it and I'd say, how much space do you need? And they'd say 3,000 square feet. And then I'd take them to my house and show it to them and they'd say, how big is this one? And I'd say 1400 square feet. And they say, wow, this, you know, I, I just need one more room. So then we have a basis of um, cutting out several hundred square feet through good design. Mm -hmm. That's one way to approach it. Yeah, and then the, the reduction in cost from eliminating that extra space could more than compensate for the the healthy building concepts, I would yes. say. Yeah, so we like to say we can show someone how to maintain the quality of life uh, without as, as many square feet in a well-designed place. And then the, the last parameter is, yes, if you're trying to renovate a mobile home to be a healthy space, it's going to cost, you know, it's going to double the price. If you already are building a high-end home, uh, as most people know who go through the, you probably know this, you can get a, a light fixture that's $1,000 or you can get the $100 knockoff. You can get two faucets, one by Delta and one by some high-end European company that have the same ceramic valves. So um, most people spend more on fancy finishes um, than investing in health. And if if they had the same house, the same footprint, the same budget, and it was a good budget, um, the cost to do a healthy home and maybe um, sacrifice on some of the the other things, which in the end is not a big sacrifice because of the variety of stuff that's available out there. Um, then you can the cost difference is negligible. It's good. In fact, they may even save something. Yeah. Because they're they're building less space. So yeah. uh, that's an interesting concept for sure. It certainly takes client education um, to understand because I've never seen a bid come back on any house, high end, low end, where the owner said, Oh, good, this came in lower than I thought it would. <laughs> uh, and you've been through the process. So I'm sure you had a similar experience. Well, I've actually never built a home. I've already oh, okay. Built, moved into existing homes. Okay. But, you know, thankfully, I've been EMF litter for a long time. So I've 
been able to screen those and remediate them when 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 there was an issue. And then, obviously, the I've, I've always not always but regularly encountered homes with mold because of water intrusion, typically from from uh, the outside, either a leaky roof or a foundation that was leaking through. Uh, but thankfully, those have been able to be remediated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, are there any? You know, we talked about mold, and the plumbiness can be a contributor. But I'm, are there any things that you find important to recommend or be careful about just conventional plumbing? Oh, sure. Um, one of the things we recommend, and we we list products in the book, are. Um, whole house water protection devices. So there are devices out there that either can detect minute leaks or if there's extra flow in a place and shut it off. Because as you probably know, a lot of the damage occurs with plumbing leaks when someone's out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, we've isolated the ones that don't have to be on wireless mm-hmm. um, because most of them are. There's that kind of thing, lining the bottom under a sink or putting a detection device, putting better hoses on laundry machines, putting some floor drains where you really need them. So um, we're, we're pretty detailed on that throughout the book. Since since I've had the pleasure of working with a mold expert who sees buildings after they've failed, mm-hmm. he's been doing that for 30, 40 years. Um, we learn from the mistakes he's found and see what to do proactively. And the, the book has... Um, a lot of information on how to prevent mold. That's terrific. Yeah. So it makes no sense to reinvent the wheel and make the same mistake someone else has when it's already known and identified as an issue. You can yes. learn from others, others' challenges. So that's one of the reasons why your book is so excellent because it provides this massive encyclopedia of valuable information that you can learn from that has taken you literally decades to compile. It's the last time I plan to write it, um, <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been living in your house? Uh, our current home, we've been in for 12 years or so. Okay. And then I was in our home in Santa Fe for almost well, 15, 18 years, which okay. for me is Where- staying in the same place for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So where's your current home? We're in Oregon, in a little Shakespeare town called uh, Ashland, Oregon. It's just above the California border. Mm-hmm. So it's a little less challenging climate than you have in Portland, where it's so wet. Yeah, for sure. How, you know, typically Pacific Northwest was uh, somewhat of a challenge during the, the COVID crisis. So <laughs> did you fare well in the, your community as a result of that? We we did wonderfully well. I learned more technology than I thought I'd have to, and now I I you know love this Zoom thing we're doing. Um, and but we did we switched. You know, bu- well, building was challenging because pricing was a wild card, supply was a wild card. So anyone building during that time was very very challenging, and there was a lot of demand. People saw it as a time to move. Uh, from the consulting end of things, it was uh, it was just really it was something we could do because um, we all worked in one office and now we all work remotely and we decided not to go back to being in one crowded space. But we um, this is how we work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the consulting just 
you know, people were stuck in their homes and they were getting mm -hmm. sick from their homes. So we just, our phone was ringing off the hook through all of the whole COVID crisis. Have you been able to get through that backlog? Could you say that again? Were you able to get through the backlog? Yes, we handled it. Um, yeah. And we, uh, I'd say it accelerated our learning process too and gave us the skills to work remotely. So it was, um, you know, I have terrific um, uh, two long-term employees, architects who've now become partners and they're, um, they we're just hard workers. Good. That's what it takes to get things done for sure. Yes. Yes. Now, how, how long does it typically take for, for uh, your participation in a project? Is it a matter of a few weeks, a few months, longer? It's all over the board. Some people uh, call us when the project is already designed and drawn and uh, then we produce a document for them and never hear from them again. Don't know how much the, of our recommendations they followed. The best ones are when we get them before they've chosen a site or when they have a site in mind and stay with them through the construction. I oh, think that, that's, that's ideal. Well, we can make the most um, positive impact for their health. Okay. Uh, when we stay with them. Great idea. All right. Um, so what would you say would be some of the most valuable lessons you've learned over your, your consulting career? That well, that a healthy home is not doing one or two things, big things right. It's about doing hundreds of small things uh, right. If you want to, especially build a home that's going to remain a health sanctuary throughout time. Um, as an architect, we see brand new buildings and we take our photographs and walk away. Maybe hear from that client for a few years. We still have tea there, but. We rarely have the ability to see what's happened to our buildings 30 years later. Mm -hmm. And I think if we did, we would do things, many things different, differently. That's another takeaway. I, um, the insanity that building for health is not the norm in such where we have such a high standard of living. It's as, insane as people not knowing about some of the many beautiful alternative health alternatives that you've presented to the world. Mm -hmm. um, and you wonder why aren't people living this way instead of um, getting sick and having to depend on, in your case, on the pharmaceutical world, in our case, on a better conventional building. Yeah. So in the medical model, there's been more than a century of brainwashing and propaganda that uh, self-services the industry. So mm -hmm. they attempt to discredit any alternatives. Is there something comparable in the architectural industry? Well, yeah, we I mean, have something. Desire to preserve the standard and not rock, rock the boat? We have something called uh, the building industry, which I always draw the parallel between the food industry, the building industry, the medical industry. Um, is that what know, it's called? The building industry? Yes, it's called the building industry. It, it includes design professionals, building professionals, okay. uh, building inspectors. Codes change very, very slowly. And in my lifetime, I've done some work with codes, for example, to get light straw clay accepted into the residential code. 
um, which which we succeeded. Um, but I got to see the inside of the process. If you are um, trying to get a commercial building change, there's going to be lobbyists mm-hmm. at that meeting to make sure nothing changes. You know, um, because it's it's a very profitable established industry, the same as the medical. I don't know if you call it the medical industry, but they're very parallel. So, um, you know, one of the inter- I used to live in Chicago, and uh, Chicago, along with New York, I believe, were one of the few communities in the United States where the code, the building code for residences, required the use of physical conduit which was ostensibly for fire protection because that's what's required for commercial building but the benefit and i don't think this was this by design it just happened to be a lucky artifact it was typically medical medical conduit yes and the, the benefit of that of course as you well know is that it essentially eliminates electrical fields yes from that wire even in properly grounded wires uh, I think, I think it does. Maybe it doesn't. But cer- certainly electrical fields. It may not magnetic. I just don't recall. Yeah. But uh, so it would seem, and that's. Are you aware of other communities other than Chicago and New York City that have those residential requirements for a conduit? And is that and and it would seem that that is obviously an additional extra expense. Was that is that something you recommend for new buildings, putting them in in metal conduit? It depends on the uh, on the client. Um, you know, they they don't block magnetic fields necessarily. They they will block electric fields. And for people who are sublimely sensitive, you're trying to create a whole house sanctuary. For people who are either not sensitive or just slightly sensitive, it and are they sensitive to Wi-Fi and not household wiring? Uh, we still always put uh, either a kill switch or auto demand switch in the bedroom so that and wire the house correctly and keep it away from motorized equipment like no refrigerator back to back with the bed so that at night when their body's repairing they can shut off all the electricity very conveniently so we've always done that what does that kill switch look like is a physical switch on the wall that you uh, activate up and down like a light switch or is it a, a remotely controlled one to the circuit breaker both are available if you're in an existing house uh the remote is the way to go because there's a remote in the electrical box and you know yes it causes a field while you're switching it on and off yeah, but, but it's like nothing it's no. nothing and um if we're hardwiring from the beginning we hardwire in the ethernet we um and then uh we just often just put a switch on the wall some people need the auto demand because yeah, because you know, if you've got kids, you can turn off their bedrooms when you go to sleep if you mm-hmm. if you have young children. So so it depends on the the person, but that's very minimum. I I suggest that for people who are robustly healthy as well, because mm-hmm. it just gives them more of a fighting chance in a world that's that's challenging. Yeah, it's it's just like your Wi-Fi. There's just no reason that you need it on while you're sleeping. I mean, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing with the having wire and current go through w- wires in your bedroom, maybe behind your be- headboard, that are emitting an electric field that are not serving any purpose. They're not being used. So why don't you shut the current off? Yes, that is the only solution because um, code requires you to have wires behind your bed. You know, in the old days, we used to put them up high before we had good ways to shut it off. But so at least it wasn't 
at your head level, but uh, just shutting the room off. That's something so simple, so inexpensive, and so approachable for everyone. Just a matter of educating a little bit. What's what's been your experience with uh, graphite paint as a form of a shield? Uh, as it, it, with respect to effectiveness of shutting off the current versus shielding it. And that's that's a pretty, for those who aren't aware of it, a pretty intensive endeavor because it requires painting the entire room, everything. Because uh, if you don't, you're essentially creating a Faraday cage. And if you have a leak in it, it's going to come right through. So mm-hmm. what, what is, have you had experience with that? You know, when we need that degree of shielding, I am not an expert, and but I have, you know, I work with experts around the country, and we've got some great experts who can, um, when it comes to shielding, they need to really supervise, they need to measure before, measure after, and make sure it's been effective, and that's not what we do. Okay, so you, you uh, we recommend. Yeah, you, you advise another consultant, which is fine. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, I guess the best strategy, if if for this is to get your book. I mean, it really is going to answer a lot of questions. Uh, I mean, it's crazy not to have such a great resource. Yes, um, I recommend it. Um, then you'll know everything that I know, that we know. Is it, uh, you know, both John and I is the only the only drawback to the book is you have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many pages? Like six, seven hundred pages. Well, it's about 400 now. About 400. But they're big, I mean, if you saw... Yeah, it's a big book. It's a big book. Let me uh, just show you the first one. I'll show you the difference. You can see this on the screen, but this this one oh, was yes. the first one. I think I, had, I think I had a copy of the first one. You may well have. And this is, uh, this is the new one. And the print is smaller. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's at least uh, twice the size. Oh, I'd say it's tripled, but uh, over the years. But um, yeah, if you, um, yeah, at least I tell people at least read the introduction. Don't geek out on which which paint is better, unless you're buying paint. But yeah, 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 of course, of course. It's kind of arranged so you can look up what your concern is, and uh, it's like you, you don't want to read an encyclopedia unless you have um, insomnia, you know. So the first step would be to get your book. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Uh, but if someone was interested in consulting with you or for their circumstances, what, what, how would they get in touch with you? Um, e- uh, info at econestarchitecture.com. Mm-hmm. They can call our office. Do, do you want a phone number? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, 541-488-488. Nine five zero eight, and EcoNest Architecture is your website. Yes. Okay, and you've got information on there too. Sure. Okay, great. All right. Well, this has been delightful. You're a great resource for so many people, and I'm sure you've helped many uh, radically improve their health as a result of living in a less than optimal environment for their home. That's my greatest hope. Yeah, yes, for sure. All right. Well, you keep up the good work. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to connect. Thank you. And thank you so much for this opportunity to connect with your enormous audience. So maybe someone will hear this who it's just what they needed. Of course. 
thank you for all your work and contributions over the years. I greatly admire you. <laughs>